stop trying to emulate other people's journeys mm. and make your own rules. So whether that is for me, like, of course I look at people who are like smashing it and they're, you know, raising X amount of investment or they've, they're earning, I don't know, they've hit the 1 million mark or whatever these things are. And of course I look and go, wow, that's amazing. And if I get too wrapped up in that journey, I lose sight of my own. When I feel confident is when I don't walk away from a situation questioning myself. The narrative you're building in your head is bigger than what other people think. When we stay in the same situation for long, what we're actually doing is, is eroding our confidence because we're struggling to see how we could possibly leave a situation. We become complacent in environments. And so the very thought of leaving that is the thing that scares us the most, is the fear of the unknown is what I see the most with mindset struggles. Not letting it, letting your light be dimmed by other people is so important. And if you think you can do something and you've got a burning desire to do it, just go do it. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. And on this episode, I'm blessed to be joined by the one and only Stephanie Sword Williams. Did I get that right? You I didn't did, ask you, you did. before. You and did. I'm so bad with names as well. Steph, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. What is your 30 second elevator pitch to yourself? So I'm the founder and author of Fuck Being Humble, and I help people be unapologetically proud of their achievements and get over the fear of self-promotion. And most recently, I've also started a community called This Might Help, which is focused on supporting people who are helping others through the mental health struggles and challenges. So I'm sort of someone who likes to help with the work that I do. In fact, I'm not sort of. I am somebody that likes to help with the work that I do and always try and leave that kind of positive impact as part of my legacy. Amazing. That was fantastic. And I love the concept of self-promotion. I wish people in the UK were better at it because I think one of the things uh, that the US uh, and people from the US are so fantastic at is really blowing their own trumpet. I think we would go much further internationally in the UK if we did the same. But a concept I'm fascinated by is what is the difference between confidence and arrogance? So I'm glad you asked this question because I think so often when I talk about self-promotion, people immediately panic that you're going to be arrogant. Mm -hmm. And actually when you break down what self-promotion is, self means I, and promotion is just an activity that supports an aim or a goal. So there's no reason to think that that is an arrogant thing to do. So I think we can all think of people who we know to be arrogant. They can be quite overbearing. They can assume that they are better than everyone else in the room, that their input is more important, that they are completely unaware of people's emotions and uh, other people's feelings in situations. If you don't identify as that, you will not immediately be that just because you self-promote. And I think in response to confidence, I think what I feel, when I feel confident is when I don't, walk away from a situation questioning myself. That's okay. sort of what I've learned. When I deliver a really good talk or piece of work and I'm like, yeah, I'm really proud that I did that. It's often because I'm not questioning my worth in that moment. With or without somebody's praise, I know that I've done a good job and I am confident and comfortable that I've done that. Amazing, that's, that's really, really interesting. One of the things which I see a lot of people struggling with and from what a lot of people have said to me, is sometimes the mind, which at times feels like it um, responds instinctively, the mind and the busyness and sometimes the anxiety and the doubt almost act as a blocker from being able to be your authentic self. Is that ability to have that self-confidence, to uh, 
um, really know that you did yourself proud by showing up 100%. Is that something you've always had? Is that something you've developed over time? And what's your advice to people who may be struggling with that? So I always have to be quite honest with this is that like ever since I was a child, people would be like, oh, look at her. She's so confident or she's so chatty and she'd talk to anyone and always loved like dressing up and like putting on makeup and very like, you know, very extroverted, was never a shy person. But I would say that my confidence has developed from putting myself in not necessarily risky situations, but like out of my comfort zone. So I talk quite openly that I moved jobs six times in seven years. I moved cities alone. I lived alone. I have done a lot of things that have pushed me to have to figure things out, to have to be outside of my comfort zone. And that's sort of where my confidence has personally grown. And I think in relation to when we're thinking about our mindsets and how much that affects us is so often we don't realize that when we stay in the same situation for long what we're actually doing is is eroding our confidence because we're struggling to see how we could possibly leave a situation we become complacent in environments and so the very thought of leaving that is the thing that scares us the most is the fear of the unknown is what I see the most with mindset struggles and I think when it comes to the advice that I would give, I would generally say that we never know what's going to happen next. So there's a brilliant book um, called 4,000 Weeks by uh, Oliver Berkman. And he talks about the fact that so many of us are worried about what future or what direction to go in. And what if I take that direction and it's not right? And all of those problems that we have swirling around our head. And what he said is like, you will never become, if you want to be a world-class artist, you will never become an artist until you go to that first art class or you pick up a paintbrush and you just do it. You will never be the vision that you want to be of yourself until you actually begin. And I know that's not new news, me saying that, but I think when it comes to the mindset stuff, it's reminding yourself that like nothing will change if nothing changes. There's a great quote by Henry Ford who said, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And I always say that to people as a reminder that we have to push ourselves to move out of those environments that either aren't serving us or just because we don't know the end result, it doesn't mean it's going to be a bad thing. And I always say to people as well, you can always go back. So when I was quitting my job to be a full-time public speaker and to leave the advertising industry, which is what I'd built my career in, everybody was like, how are you feeling about it? And in my head I was like, well... If it, if it doesn't work out, I'll just go get another job in advertising. Mm. Like, it's not that deep. Like, this is my go-to. I need to have it as a tattoo. It's just not that deep. That's what I say Love a that. lot. Um, you're, the narrative you're building in your head is bigger than what other people think. Mm, absolutely. And I think you're so right. Everyone's looking for a secret source for confidence or how you maneuver yourself in life. But it's going back to those fundamentals of saying, yeah, if you want different outcomes, do something different. It always makes me think about um, complacency versus comfort. And do you think that as people who are pushing ourselves forward, pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone, is there a risk that there is never sort of comfortability? You know, it's always going to be the drive to want more, not accept our circumstances and be really ambitious. And I think it's an incredibly positive thing. But sometimes I wonder, well, what does that look like 40 years down the line if it's constantly a, a drive to keep on moving forward? Do you ever land in that, that happy, settled place, as it were? 
I think that's I think that's a really good question to pose. I I actually realized recently I was asked to deliver a talk on how to fail better. Mm-hmm. And I know we'll talk about that a bit later on, but I was struggling to come up with a failure that I felt was representative enough or enough to speak about at an event and it kind of triggered something that maybe I've not been pushing myself out of my comfort zone enough and I am very good at what I do and I like to make the joke that I do what I'm good at I don't do what I'm bad at Mm. sort of thing like most founders do but it did make me it did spark something where it was like but then are you actually experiencing maybe life enough and it's not to say like oh the grass is greener I'm very happy Mm -hmm. with the comfort zone that I sit in but especially with the work that I deliver I kind of need to practice what I preach and I I think it is that thing of growth like am I growing as much as I possibly could be and it doesn't mean that I'm not grateful of what I've got right now I'm, I'm very content I'm very happy with what I've built and the style of work and my work life balance and all of those things but it did make me think, actually, how could I be pushing myself that bit further so that I do experience more in life and that I do open more doors and I access more opportunities? Not because I'm trying to escape what I've got, mm. but because I have got to a point where I'm I'm enjoying it, but it's almost becoming like autopilot. And I think that's also a bit of a topic around confidence is when something becomes autopilot, you're pretty confident in it. Mm -hmm. If you can do it without necessarily needing notes or if you can do it without going into panic, you know, that autopilot mindset is is a place that people strive towards. And I think I've kind of got there. And now I'm personally looking at, right, what is that next thing or what are these different opportunities? So I was just in New York recently and I was trying to raise awareness of my brand. Nobody knows fuck being humble out there. And so I was like postering flyers around the city. Nice. I sat I sat in Washington Square Park offering free career advice. And for the first 15 minutes, nobody turned up. And I'm not joking. I was like sweating. I went into panic and anxiety overload. And I for the first time in a really long time, I felt completely out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Even though I'm this chatty, confident, extroverted person sitting in a busy park not having people come speak to me, being very exposed, being very vulnerable in that moment, whilst it was uncomfortable, it gave me some sort of spark to keep me going, I need to keep doing some new things. And it's funny, I spoke on a podcast the other day and they said, it's really great that even after five years of your business, you're still doing those things. Like, you don't even need to do that. And I was like, Mm. it's interesting that you're looking at it in that way because I actually see it as after five years of building my credibility, I don't have to find work that often. Work does come to me. I've built a good reputation. Actually, what I do want to do is sit in the park and give free career advice. And I want to fly on my posters around the city. And I want to, I hid copies of my book around the city with a little sign that said, take me, I'm free. Like the campaign, the activation, that side of it, whilst not always feeling hugely confident or comfortable, I feel invigorated by doing that work. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes to show that when we run our own businesses and we're founders, we very often get stuck in doing the do. Mm -hmm. Dory Clark talks about this, um, heads down. We're always heads down doing the work, but actually we need to have heads up 
and think about the wider strategy. And whilst I was in New York and in the run up to New York, I was thinking heads up. Yeah. I was thinking if I'm going to launch my business in a new country, how am I going to get people thinking? And it was the most creatively excited I felt in a while. Mm. So I think that's quite a long winded answer to your question. But I think it's it's moving out of my comfort zone is not out of lack of appreciation for what I've got. It's to find even more fulfillment in life. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really valuable point that you can still have immense gratitude for everything that you have and wake up so thankful and feeling so fucking blessed as I do every day uh, for everything that I have. But still, it's more of a fulfillment of potential, always just wanting to max out on what you're possibly able to achieve rather than being like, I'm not happy with what I've got. And I think it's such a key difference. And really interesting point on the founder journey. And I've never verbalized it in a way that you did before, but I think you hit the nail on the head, which is, from my perspective anyway, start off being a founder because you love solving a problem, being involved in that market, in that environment, whatever it is. And then there is a slog of doing all the work required to get an infrastructure set up to allow you to go back to doing that while the business is running itself. And that's what I find now. So we're at about 95 um, team size in Connected, and that's allowed me to now go back to speaking to people in the market, speaking to customers, engaging with them, seeing how we can help problems, because that's what it's about. You're, you're always going to return back to solving the problem, being involved in the, the situations that you love. Absolutely. And I actually don't have a team. So I work completely by myself out of choice, to be honest. Yeah. I, when I worked in advertising, I managed a lot of people, whether it was internally or clients externally. And it was a lot. It was a lot of work. And I kind of am at a stage where I want to build the work lifestyle that I want and managing people isn't one of them. Mm. So I'm very aware that there's a pace in which I can grow and I'm comfortable with that, yeah. to be honest. I'm sure if I'd have got investment three years ago, I would have been this international global brand and mm -hmm. everybody across the world would have known about me and everybody would be talking about fuck being humble. I hope, anyway. But actually, I'm so comfortable and, and happy and the least stressed I've ever been, ever. I, I sleep well at night. I'm not anxious and stressed. I don't feel... I know, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But I'm... I feel like I've personally cracked a way of working that works for me as a founder. Mm. And I think that does come after the business has been going for five years. I, I side hustled for two years. Mm -hmm. And so I've been running it full time as a public speaker and founder for three years. And I guess a big part of that enjoyment has not been conforming to what is expected of me. Mm. So things like building a big team, things like getting investment, even like... I don't set monthly targets, which might not be great to everyone's to everyone's ears to hear. I know what money I need to make yeah, to cover myself. And I have an outlook that everything else is a bonus. And when you look at it like that, I guess it does come from more of a place of gratitude of, no, I'm not going to work myself into the ground every single day because I've made up a figure that I've decided this month I need to make 50K. Mm. Like, why? For who? Yeah. What well, do I need? It. Like, I know the money that keeps me happy. I know the money that I need. I know the money that I need to pay my finances and to keep the business going. But I guess for me, it's like I'm not in that world to chase something that I don't need. And I don't need to prove it to anyone. I think that's probably where I'm at at this stage in my career. I'm not proving my worth to people. People are coming to me because they value the work that I do. 
Amazing. And I think that's ultimately uh, escaping the matrix, right? Is being able to work for your own values, your own outcomes, and what you know that you want and need, and not based on what anyone else says they want and need. And I remember after I sold Real Sport and before I started Connected, one of the happiest moments of my life was when I was able to just sell, basically work as a consultant for a company for two weeks. Super relevant, wasn't much money, but it was just like, it was a moment where I was like, okay, I don't have any team, I don't have any infrastructure, I have no product, all I have is myself. Yes. And the fact that I was able to monetize my skill was like, okay, now no matter what happens in life, I know I'll be fine. So I can only imagine the fulfillment that you get by every day being like, yep, this is just me. I can get what I want, live the life that I want based off exclusively myself and must be incredibly fulfilling. It is, but I, you know, I won't sugarcoat it. There's obviously sides to it where I'm like, I'm absolutely drowning and I wish I had a team or, you know, I'm overcritical on the Instagram content that I've designed or, you know, there's definitely aspects and there's definitely ideas that maybe if I had a bigger team, they would have launched, they would have happened. But I, I advise a lot of new founders and uh, freelancers on their journey. And one of the things I talk about is like, if you are committed to the work that you're going to do, probably going to be doing it for at least the next five or 10 years. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do every idea you come up with in the first year or the second year, in the third year. In fact, as somebody who has probably every year around January have a bit of a dip where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if I love my brand. I don't know if I, you know, it's, it's, it's a very natural feeling. I think you approach it when you're at year four, year five, year six. Mm. You've done a lot of hard work. You've put it out there. And there's times where I think, how many times can I say fuck being humble? <laughs> like, how many times can I remind people to self-promote? Like, I know it works, but if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do mm -hmm. it, you know? But then I'll deliver this talk and I'll be in a room with people and they're like, oh, this has changed my life. And then I'm like, and I'm back in love again. And so I think one of the things I've realized is definitely through my quieter periods, when I'm not giving a talk, so we were just talking about uh, December. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants professional development in December. They want mince pies. They want Baileys. Self-destruction. Self-destruction. Self they are absolutely yeah. not thinking about personal mm -hmm. development. Um, and in those months, I can actually be quite affected by that because I guess that feeling of being needed is not there. And I've noticed during my quieter periods that that has psychologically affected me as an individual because I am so close to mm. the brand. But I guess if I had a team, I'd feel even more worried about it mm -hmm. because I'd be worrying about them. So I guess, yeah, the the benefit of being, you know, a solo person is that you only have to cater for yourself. Mm. The difficulties is that it's only you doing everything. So it's kind of, it's a balancing act, but it works for me. And I like to be able to bring in specialists as and when I need them and have a relationship with people where I don't have to do performance reviews and find ways to motivate you and get you back in the office and all of those things that my clients come to me mm -hmm. for right but I totally agree I think for me consultancy is the line of work that I like doing so when I worked in advertising I was I worked in production I was an account manager I worked in new business development I was really in the thick of it mm -hmm. I was in the trenches I was getting emails 24 hours a day I'd wake up to 200 emails all of these things and I guess what I like now is that I go in for two hours, I deliver a workshop and I walk back out again. You want to book me again? You book me again. But my time is covered mm -hmm. and you will not have me extensively 24 hours a day unless you've got a seriously big budget. But even then for my own working boundaries, I wouldn't go there again. Yeah, amazing. So talking about mental health, um, before we talk about your mental health community, 
you say you mentor a lot of freelancers and and people on the solo journey. Um, I think I was at a talking at an event last night and I said one of the clearest correlations between successful business outcomes is with how a founder manages their own mental health journey. Um, founder goes off the rails, business goes off the rails. Founder manages to keep it together. Business will normally see through tough times, right? Again, not rocket science, um, super fundamental. But what advice are you giving to um, solopreneurs, freelancers on managing their mental health? Because if you're not used to it and you're fresh in, it can feel like existential crisis every other week. And from a psychological perspective, that can be a big impact. So how are you advising these people to manage that? I'm going to give you three very clear tips on this. Amazing. So, Love practical advice. First of all, you quit your job to be your own boss. Whether you're a founder or a freelancer, if you are doing this, if you're going on the self-employed journey, you most likely did it, in most cases, not every case, but you did it because you wanted to be in control. So control it, right? So many people are like, you know, that is that, that, that meme, quit my job to be my own boss now, I work 24 hours a day. It's your choice. You are choosing that. You do not have a boss breathing down your neck anymore. So I know obviously it's different when you have investors and all of those sorts of things. But people often lose sight of the fact that, yes, you can finish at four o'clock on a Tuesday and go to the gym, which is what I did this week because I'm terrible at going to the gym. And I was like, I feel a bit of motivation. I'll go right now. Did I leave in the middle of the day? Yeah. Did I have email to reply to? Yeah. Can I reply to them at nine o'clock at night if I want to? Yes. Like, don't be restricted to the nine to six that we've been brought up to think that we have to work those hours or longer hours, right? Choose your working hours, be productive at the right time, don't work your weekends, you know. But also, if you do like working on the weekends, which I do sometimes, um, do it. But, you know, be kind, like, with those working hours, you finally, you control them to a point. I know when we have demanding clients and investors, it can differ, but... Allow yourself to be your own boss is the first thing. I think the second thing on mental health is sort of what we've touched upon already is stop trying to emulate other people's journeys mm. and make your own rules. So whether that is for me, like, of course, I look at people who are like smashing it and they're, you know, raising X amount of investment or they've they're earning. I don't know. They've hit the one million mark or whatever these things are. And of course, I look and go, wow, that's amazing. And if I get too wrapped up in that journey, I lose sight of my own. Mm. And I think it's so important that you decide what you want in the finances, in the work balance and all of those things. And that we don't get consumed by obsessing over the other people's journey. Because, And I actually did a story about this recently where I was saying we de never know where people start. Mm -hmm. We never know at what point. So I have somebody that I often look at and I'm like, oh, God, look at them. They always get great guests on their podcast or they're rubbing shoulders with celebrities. I'm like, why has that not happened to me? And I'm like, because I'm from Leeds and my family are from finance and I had no contacts given to me. And then I found out that this person's family member is a massive celebrity and they've got agents. And, and I'm like, well, of course this makes sense. And that reminder actually really helped me if we never know where other people start, so we cannot compare our journeys. Mm. Most likely those people that you are, are looking at have daddy's trust fund or they've got um, agents or they've, they've had this access or that, you know, whatever it may be. So just keep mindful of that. And also 
just because people are presenting themselves externally as the founder of this coffee making machine doesn't mean they're not doing 10 other jobs in the background they're just not talking about it and that's something that I've noticed recently is people aren't actually sharing that behind the scenes they're having to do multiple other jobs to fund the exterior version of them Mm, which is even more even more why we shouldn't compare and then I think the third thing on mental health is build an army of people who support you so whether that is your immediate network of friends peers colleagues um your partners family members whoever can remind you of the great work that you're doing every day is so important or it's wider and you've built a community of people who admire your work whether it's your listeners on your podcast your followers on linkedin or whatever it may be because every time i am at a point of questioning the business or where i'm going or any of those things i only have to read three messages of feedback of how I've helped with life-changing career advice or how a woman left a toxic situation that she never thought she could or Mm. somebody started a business and then I'm like and I'm back in the room and I think when you're doing it you know as I said I'm doing it alone in the sense that I don't have a team but I'm absolutely not alone in the sense that I have great support I have great peers I have a great partner I have great friends I have family members that are extremely supportive and I've got this amazing community that I've built who I don't even need to talk about my brand because I know they're out there talking about it for me and that helped massively with loneliness I actually have two friends Poonam and Daisy when we were in lockdown we started a whatsapp group where Mm -hmm. we share problems oh the client's not paying what should I do how do I pitch myself for this And that was so useful. We trust each other. It was a WhatsApp group where we could quickly get advice in that one minute that we need it. Otherwise, we were going to go into a self-doubt spiral and we weren't going to do the thing we said we were going to do. And a thing that I often share on on podcasts and events is we started a practice where every Friday we share our wins before dins, where we voice voice note two to three things that we've done that week that we're proud of. So it can be anything from getting dressed and going for a walk before midday, which can be good, or it could be saying no, or it could be winning a client, or it could be hosting an event or posting that video on TikTok when we didn't think we would. And that particularly through the pandemic was transformative because it was this safe space that we could go to to not only vent and find support, but we could unapologetically celebrate ourselves without feeling like we were going to be mocked or we were going to have people take the mick out of us. And actually, that was such an amazing support space. Sadly, we're not as frequent in there now, but I still know that I could call on them whenever I Mm. need and they'd be there. So make sure that you find people that not only want to see you succeed, but they also want to make sure your health is good as well. I think that's incredible advice. And it really goes back to the importance of having true friends, you know, on that side. Uh, We talk about a lot on this podcast, especially, I think, um, people like us, it's really important to say this, that social connection is different to connections on social, you 100%. know, and actually having people who you can celebrate wins with. And I think it's always a very sobering moment uh, for a lot of people I've spoken to, uh, especially people who are successful, is you find that often if you're in a, uh, a friend group where maybe other people are not on the same trajectory as you, same path as you, actually there can become a lot of friction, friction, jealousy, bitterness, however you want to call it. So making sure you do have those people who genuinely want to celebrate success with you, where you can celebrate success together and support each other. Um, and I think that's a, a great way of realizing if you do have the right people around you. 
Uh, do you feel like you can do that? And I think on the flip side as well, what they're great at, especially Poon, my friend who's a well-being coach, mm-hmm. uh, is telling me when to stop and slow down. So the minute I got back from New York and Paris back to back, she was like, I hope you're resting and I hope you're on the sofa and I hope you're Tom, your, my partner, is fussing over you and I hope you're not, you've not got any big events and she's always been a very strong anchor to be like, you need to rest mm-hmm. um, and I'm not good at resting <laughs> and so I need, I actually really benefit from having those people to tell me when to take a break and when to just take a minute and actually create that space for myself because it doesn't come naturally to create that space yeah absolutely and you're now building a mental health community where I guess you're helping other people uh, support their friends yes so the idea is for anybody that's ever struggling behind them there is often a best friend a partner a loved one a family member a colleague a peer who wants to help them but they don't know how And we've not had enough mental health training in this country across the globe on how to navigate conversations around anxiety, depression, sexual assault, trauma. And for me personally, I went through a stage of supporting people in my life across all of those topics. And I didn't know how to help them, what to do, what to say. But I also didn't know where to go for support for myself. I eventually ended up going to therapy because I was supporting so many people Mm. that it became so emotionally overbearing that I needed a space for me. And again, that was transformative because I needed that, but not everybody has the access to that funding or those that option. So this might help as an online hub of resources where we pull in any book, video, podcast, anything that might help somebody else support someone struggling. So whether that is an interview with Jimmy Carr on the Diary of the CEO where he talked about living with his mum with depression, I personally found that really interesting, so that got put on the the website. Or whether it is um, a card game called We're Not Really Strangers and it's about how to have difficult conversations with people. So often when I tell people I'm helping a friend with depression, they'll be like, you should read this book, it might help. And that was where the name came from because everybody could always think of a resource or something. And I thought if we could plug together and we could pull all of these resources into one place, we might be able to help people for a peer-to-peer sharing process as opposed to relying on our government to fund the mental health crisis that we have. So, yeah, the core of it, it's very much sharing resources that could help other people or yourself support people through difficult times and you know I have ambitions to hopefully do a podcast and content series but really to try and pull all of this information into one place Mm. because when you are helping someone through a difficult time you're worrying you're panicking you're upset the last thing you need to be doing is trawling through the internet when you're already feeling emotional and trying to find the best resources so We also share things like a glossary of key mental health words, um, helplines that you could go to for yourself Mm -hmm. as a carer, but also for the people that might be struggling. And again, just trying to make this as like a really powerful information hub to take away that stress when you need it the most. Yeah, I think that's incredible. And when you look at these stats around the amount of people who are providing care, um, it's incredibly large, right? And it's not something spoken about. 
most people are dealing with this in private for some reason they know it feels like a taboo people are there's still some shame around it which is interesting even in a time where people are very open about their own mental health people are still um yeah feeling a bit of shame about being a caregiver in that way uh, so i think a support network and a place to go to get really clear um and most important you know credible credible validated information as well because there's so much shit out there there uh, is it's so important it is and i also think that we have to make a note on the care because when i came out with the brand i said it was for carers and people immediately were like oh well i'm not a carer mm. i don't i don't have to bathe the person that yeah. i'm supporting or i don't have to feed them or and i actually found a phrase recently called hidden caring yeah which is the emotional support that we give to people so you might not be a, a physical carer but hidden caring we're all doing yes we are literally everybody knows somebody struggling everybody and as to, as to what you just said like just because people aren't talking about it doesn't mean it's not happening and i know when i've said i've helped someone through this all of a sudden someone else pipes up they're like oh me too and it's mm. so hard and all of these things so yeah, for me, it's like, how can we pull together our collective knowledge to try and help as many people as possible navigate a situation where you may not have ever mm. had the training or know how to navigate that? Mm. We were just talking about it, you know, what to do if someone has a panic attack in front of you? You know, what do you do? And where do you go to for that information? And quite rightly, the information and the funding is currently being spent on the people struggling. But that means that there is a massive support gap. That's what I've dubbed the phrase is it's a support gap that needs help and advice. Because if we are seeing a, a strain on the mental health system, the NHS, there's not enough funding, all of these things, there is going to be even more expectancy that individuals like you and I are going to have to support our loved ones because they're not getting access to the care that they need. Yeah, I think I think it's so important. I uh, love it and super excited to see where you take that. You. All right, I have five questions I ask every guest. My first one for you is, what is the biggest risk you've ever taken and what was the outcome? I guess the biggest risk was quitting my job and going for it with fuck being humble. I'm not someone, I say I'm not a risk taker. I am a risk taker in the sense that I, I do move jobs and I've moved cities and I've, I'm, I'm okay to kind of leave a situation if it's not serving me. And I, the reason I say it's probably the biggest risk was because I quit my job in March 2020 to be an international public speaker and all international events got cancelled. And just as it was happening, you know, um, companies were literally sacking people immediately. Um, we were being told to stay in our houses. There was all of, the, it, was, it was just, it like happened overnight. It was like, went from zero to 100. And I'd done everything humanly possible to be sensible i'd lined up six months worth of work the, the pipeline was looking healthy and then everything got cut because employee development budgets were the first things to get cut right and so i remember actually an old employee reaching out and saying i know you handed me a notice and i know you're going to do but do you want to come back and do you want to do some shifts and or like you know do freelance or whatever and i remember being like no like i am i am officially done even though I knew we were going to this complete fear of the unknown. Like mm. it was, and it then spiraled into be a very bad time, right? So I guess that was having the courage at that moment to be like, no, I'm backing myself, even if we're about to go into something that I have no idea what the end result's going to be, was probably the riskiest thing, especially when the line of work I was quitting my job to do was not actually 
physically possible to do. And so I ended up just doing online webinars, never mm. done them ever in my life. And I didn't have the choice to mess about. Everybody was like, you were so ahead on that. You went straight into webinars. I was like, I literally had no choice. Like it, it was, was my main, yeah, my main yeah. source of income. Um, and again, I learned so much with the journey. I know everybody hates that time, but there was many silver linings for me of, I would never have done online events had I not had that experience. I built the community from 5,000 to 25,000 in a year, all organic, because I was sharing content. I was helping people at a time when they needed it the most. So I think on reflection, that was definitely the riskiest move. But that being said, I don't know if back to my earlier point, I'm not being risky enough. I Maybe that's why. I guess also naming my business Fuck Being Humble is pretty risky because... Yep. That hasn't come with that has come with its challenges, of course. Um, but I guess I, I've I've spent five years getting used to that now, so it feels less of a risk. But I would I would definitely say going for it, especially when I now see how many people struggle to go for their ideas, mm. even when there's such great potential, or even when they know it's going to work. I've always had kind of like a limitless self belief. I have a strong I have strong self belief, mm. which is the belief that I can do something with or without the skills. Um, providing I'm good at it the first time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 love that. I'm so bad. If if I'm not good at it the first time, I'm like, okay, not for me. I'll never do it. But if I'm good at it the first time, I'm like, I can smash this. Uh, it makes sense. Lean into lean into the strengths. Lean into the strengths. Yeah. Uh, and I have a genuine feeling that the moments we perceive to be possibly the worst moments of our life will end up being the best moments of sure. our life. So, for example, COVID, like, quit my job, international events, done. But actually, the ability to supercharge your brand online, get all that organic traffic, like actually in 10, 15, maybe even now, you see that as, wow, what an incredible. And I had three talks that I'd written before we went into the pandemic. I came out of the pandemic with 15 talks. There you go. Because there were so many more things that people needed. There was a higher demand. I didn't want to keep doing the same webinar every single week. And so, yeah, from a business growth perspective, it really taught me the importance of diversifying the brand Mm. and the different options. You know, I tried things like one-to-one CV reviews. Absolutely hated it. Only did it for two weeks. I launched something called Side Hustle School where I trained people on how to launch their own side hustle, which I'm extremely proud of trained 700 people nice since the pandemic on helping people start passion projects or side hustles so there were all these moments that yeah no i would have just been bouncing around east london still yeah and i would not have reached like my talks throughout the pandemic and up until this point have reached people in 50 countries Mm. would not have happened so there are you know it was a very strange time for sure and i'm much happier where we're at right now but i don't think I would have built the business in the way it's built had I not have had that time. Yeah, 100%. It's it's so interesting. I genuinely think the best time in the last 20 years to launch a brand was the very start of COVID. And that's common, isn't it? Like, yeah. wasn't it Uber and Airbnb came out of a recession? or a, 100%. A, yeah. WhatsApp as well. Um, but I think COVID was even greater because you had a level of online attention yes. and exposure yes. that is just not normal. Yes. People but were spending 18 hours feedback, a day. Feedback. Feedback yeah. as well. Well, people so had time to give feedback. They were just it. engaging. Like, it was actually... I miss it. No, I don't really miss it. I'm joking. joking. I wouldn't mind it for the cost of living (laughs) crisis that we're in right now. I wouldn't mind just like, you know, having cosy nights in and not Mm. not having to be as affected by the pricing. Very true. Very true. Okay, we could could talk about that all day. (laughs) Uh, So my next question for you is, is there anything you wish you did differently? It's always really difficult answering that question because I think 
without being a cheese ball, you know, saying that I think a lot of the decisions that I've made have got me to where I am. And it's that classic, I mean, there's loads of like rom-coms where it's like, oh, I went back and changed the past and I kissed that guy instead of that guy and then the doors opened this way. Um, So I don't want to sort of undermine or question the decisions that I've made. I think on reflection, not necessarily in relation to fuck being humble, but when I worked full time, I left the jobs after 18 months. It was a pattern and it was very much, if you don't pay me, respect me or value me, I'm out the door. And I think I possibly could have stayed longer in certain businesses, given them the benefit of the doubt and maybe experienced some more things rather than feeling like, I needed to get out because I've got this world to conquer and all of those things. I think it's one of the pieces of advice that I give to people now Mm. is assessing the long-term gains. And again, you know, I moved from Nottingham to Manchester to London, recently lived in Paris. Like I've done a lot of moving and it's created these unbelievable life experiences. But I think one of the areas that I often felt like I wasn't progressing was like, I didn't get to work on the cool projects and I didn't get to do certain things and I was always seeking for more at speed Mm. I wasn't willing to wait for it I was always like I need this now which I think is quite uh, I think is actually very prominent in Gen Gen Z at the moment actually I think that's popping up quite a lot so maybe I was ahead of my time on that but I think actually there are companies that if I'd have stayed a bit longer there might have been more opportunities unlocked or I might have got to work on bigger campaigns or I might have built some stronger relationships with people. Mm. I still have done great things, but that's something that maybe my impatience to succeed was pushing me to move on from situations that I probably still could have learned a lot from. Mm. And I still went on to grow and learn even more and it was great. But I guess I, I, I didn't sit in the discomfort I would I would leave it and I would go if you don't value me I value myself and I'll go find something bigger and better and I did to be fair I did but I think possibly I could have been more patient really really interesting um thank you for sharing that it makes a lot of sense and I often think the same thing you know because I, I never got a job and I I often think should I have done that learn actually what it looks like to operate in a big infrastructure do all those things it was my impatience I said I couldn't um but I've never really verbalized it that way um it's really, really interesting to hear I think it's quite common amongst entrepreneurs yeah. right we have ideas and we're doers and if we're not surrounded by like-minded people mm. who are challenging us and making us feel something that is just not enough that being said the daily life of sitting at a desk and reporting to people and structure hate it Mm. I love that every day is completely different now I love that I'm sat here doing a podcast with you today and tomorrow morning at the same time I could just sit and watch nine hours of Netflix if I want to I love that I'm not pinned down Mm. freedom is 100% one of my life values and you don't have freedom when you work for a company Mm. is the truth of it and so whilst I could have been more patient I think the longing for success also came for the longing of freedom. Very nice. Like it a lot. All right. What are you proudest of? Oh, there's so many moments. It's, 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 it is difficult to pin it down when you work in the field that I work in, when you are literally 
helping people every day and I think what I'm proudest of I actually listened to a great TED talk recently where the guy said he talks about why the future will be run by optimists Mm -hmm. and he said that what we need to look at is the successes that didn't happen because actually progress is very often about the things that could have happened but didn't so when we think about progress we often only ever think it needs to increase needs Mm -hmm. to be more more, 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 more money, more things, mm-hmm. bigger things. What he's saying is like the things that didn't happen are also equally as important in progress. And so I guess what I'm, when I've been reflecting about this recently is one of the things I'm proud of is like still being relevant five years later, um, not getting cancelled, not, not, not pissing people off enough or upsetting people or, or stepping out of line or offending people I guess I know that seems quite a strange thing to say but I am a, a public figure I'm on, on I'm outward facing I deliver so many talks and workshops and it's not to say that I've never made a mistake of course I have but to still be sharing a message five years later that is still so relevant so personal so many people want to advocate it they want to take it on board they they are my cheerleaders I don't ask them to do it they go do it because they've been so positively affected by the brand that is amazing for me it's like when you lose I mean when you think about Nike and some of the world's biggest brands they haven't lost relevance after Mm. all these years they're still amazing I would love for fuck being humble to still be relevant and I think it will purely on the name um but to continue to grow whilst taking people on a journey whilst helping them but also having not done anything wrong I know that sounds quite strange to say but I think a lot of small businesses don't succeed Mm. a lot of entrepreneurs don't don't do well 90% things can go wrong and it's not to say that I won't but at the core of what I've always tried to do it, it is help people and it's to listen to what people need. I think that's been the power of this brand and that's why it continues to stay relevant and needed because I'm on the ground. Mm. I'm running the events. I'm listening to people. I hold founder groups where I sit and listen to what people are struggling with. I speak to freelancers about what they are scared of. I speak to people at businesses. I'm... I'm forever trying to learn and listen and that is probably not losing sight of that and not losing sight of the core mission of the brand is probably what I'm proud of. Amazing. I, I Do you know what? We've probably done like 55 episodes. I think you're the first person to say that they're proud of something that didn't happen that way. And I love that because everyone else has given the same answer and you're the first person to flip it, which I think is um, really interesting. And as you said, not being cancelled, not offending anyone um, with the sort of things that you do and the world we live in is unbelievably impressive. (laughs) I'd be proud too. Um, Okay, my next one for you is, what does it take to be successful? Relentless optimism. Love that. So I also read a great book called The Confidence Mind. And in the book, he talks about the difference between optimists and pessimists. And optimists never think they're the problem. And that is me. <laughs> so I often make this joke of like, you know, it, well, if I didn't get that opportunity, it can't, can't be me. Whereas a pessimist would go, of course it's me. It had to be me. And I think what I've realised is relentless optimism. It will work. I will find a way to make it work. 
this is going to be epic. Mm. That inner voice is 100% what powers me and all my ideas. And I would also say grit. I know it's quite obvious, but even to this point, so I'm now trying to run one fully functioning business that's doing great, fuck being humble. I'm trying to run another one. I'm trying to write a second book mm-hmm. or pitch a second book. And last night it was like, right, I did my hours, nine till six, I'd worked all day. And I was like, right, time to write this book proposal. Who's going to write it? No one else. I've got to do this. And Chat so I started, well, oh, gosh, <laughs> that that is a game changer. And so, you know, between the hours of six and 9 p.m., I was writing a book proposal or trying to and everybody's always like oh you know I just don't know how you do it how have you how have you always do it I was like put in the hours mm. didn't just happen and when I worked full-time I worked in advertising and if you know that it's long hours I had international clients I worked till eight eight o'clock many nights I would come home have dinner and then I would work again from nine till midnight to follow people on Instagram or to get people to sit on my events or to get people to promote the brand or whatever it was. And then I wrote a book. I had eight months to write my book whilst I was working full-time, whilst I was running Fuck Being Humble. So every Saturday I went and wrote my book over eight months. And I think, look back now, and I don't know how, I actually don't know how I did all of that. But that determination, it's determination and... um, that kind of like, yeah, that grit of like, got to keep going, got to keep doing this. I don't want to say discipline because I don't think I'm that disciplined, but I've been listening to a lot of books mm. recently that are like, discipline is the key to success. And I'm like, oh it's my true. God, I'm so bad at that. Like, hate going to the gym, hate eating healthily, hate doing all the things I know I need to do. Um, but with work, I get shit done. But that's the discipline, right? It's the, yeah. it's what comes in when the motivation isn't there. Yeah. The discipline is what I'm going to do anyway. It'd be one, easier if we were motivated. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to share that I've realised recently is is time. Mm-hmm. Time is so important for your confidence. So I actually pitched to my agent, I've got this book idea, I really want to do it, I think it'd be great. She said, great, get me a proposal in two weeks. I was so excited about it, I could not write anything. I couldn't get it out of my system. And eventually I had to just say to her, I can't do it in two weeks. And that's obviously a bit embarrassing. I've pitched something and she's given me a deadline. And instead it's been three months now and I've let the idea simmer in my head and I've been writing and I can write it because I had the courage to say I need more time. Mm. And I think courage is massive. Courage to ask for more time, to set boundaries, to ask for the money that you deserve, to say I don't want to hire a team I'm not going to go for investment you know I think I think they are my free things so relentless optimism grit and courage to do it because confidence will only come after you've had the courage to do something amazing all right 15 year old Steph walks in the room right now what are you going to tell her you did good (laughs) um I you know I talk quite openly about this I, I came from quite an academic family and there were often sort of comments as I was growing up not in not in a not in a mean way at all, but just in the classic way of like she'll do something, but we're not sure what. She'll have a chat show, you know these sort of like you know I did art, textiles, media. I I wasn't I, I did coursework based subjects because I'm better at coursework than I am um, exams. Like truthfully, I loved being creative, but when you don't come from a family of creative people, that can be not even necessarily a family, but just at a time where. 
academia was pushed more. I think that is something that I have surpassed my wildest dreams of what I would think I would achieve, especially running my own business. Mm. So, like, well done to me because I don't think anybody thought it was going to happen. Um, and not because they didn't believe in me. They absolutely did. But I don't think I have allowed myself to really catch up with the success that I've had. And I don't think people that knew me before this success can ma- put them together, if that makes sense. I think they know me as young Steph. Mm-hmm. I used to say I wanted to be a wag. <laughs> they know me as wag Steph. They know me as like, oh, I want to be a, like a fashion designer, but was never going to be a fashion designer because mm-hmm. I was terrible at that. They don't know me as entrepreneur, business owner, public speaker, TED speaker, Forbes under 30, that there is a disconnection. And I still even think for myself there is sometimes. Mm. When my book was coming out, when I was in therapy, we talked about the fact that I didn't feel academic enough to release a book. I didn't feel like I was worthy of that. And so I think, um, I guess, that I would say to 15-year-old self, like, you did it and well done and you did it despite what other people might have said. But I think for people listening, what I would say is never let other people dictate what you think you can do. I think that's one of been one of my biggest learnings. I've worked in situations where I've been told, no, you're good at that. You should do that. And I don't know why I was being held down in those ways. But ever since I left those environments, I have flourished. So not letting it, letting your light be dimmed by other people is so important and if you think you can do something and you've got a burning desire to do it just go do it nobody's going to give you the permission to do it you need to go Mm. do it that's that's one of my biggest learnings incredible steph where can people find you so they can add me on linkedin just stephanie sword williams or they can connect with me on social so you can follow at f being humble on instagram and twitter you can follow that this might help us on instagram and tiktok for any mental health support and just generally if anybody wants to get in contact i always love to meet and connect with founders investors entrepreneurs that are doing great work you're a legend thank you so much thank you Thanks for watching the episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please hit subscribe below so that you can support the podcast and we can keep on bringing you amazing new guests. If you want to see the other amazing episodes in this podcast, click into our series section. As ever, if there are any other guests or topics you want us to explore, just let me know in the comments and we'll do our best to bring someone in.